Good morning, everybody. Hope I'm finding the middle of a fantastic day. And today, this week, in our podcast, we are continuing a series we left off on. I know I haven't done this in quite a while. And the reason for that is multiple fold. Uh, Number one is the last time I was doing this podcast regularly, I was doing an episode every single day. And the thing about that was I was trying to sort of create work for myself. The thing about that is I don't need to create work for myself. I've got enough to keep me busy, which is why I stopped doing it. But we're going to do one episode a week from now on, which I figure is better than zero episodes ever, right? So what we're going to start doing one episode a week and we're going to continue a series that I left off when I was doing daily episodes and uploads. And the uh, the series I'm going to do that I left off on is surveying the Bible. And I feel like that's a really important thing for us to know. It's important for us to get to know our Bibles really, really well. Uh, you can't understand your New Testament till you understand your Old Testament, first of all. But also, the better you understand your Bible, the better you can live a victorious Christian life. Because the devil is going to throw tricks your way, and the Bible teaches you how to dodge them. And the important thing about that is that God wants us to succeed. He wants us to have a victorious Christian life. We don't so many times because we fail to live our lives according to his word. That's just a list of right and wrongs given to us by a bunch of grumpy old men. This is about learning to win at life and doing it God's way. And when you get to know your Bible, you can do that so much better. Now, we talked about Genesis, Exodus, 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 Leviticus uh, are the three that we've talked about so far. And the book that we're surveying today is the book of Numbers. Now, the book of Numbers has, man, so much going on in this book. When you study the Israelites wandering the wilderness, you know, you kind of pick up the highlights, right? You kind of pick up, okay, they left Egypt, uh, you know, crossing the Red Sea. There was uh, the Ten Commandments along there somewhere, something about manna. And uh, then they come up to this place, something happened, and they're wandering for 40 years. And then Joshua takes them across, right? That's kind of what most people know about their time in the wilderness. But the book of Numbers is where a good chunk of what happens, happens. And in the book of Numbers, we're going to start kind of going through a lot of what you need to know about the book of Numbers. First of which, the author. Most of you can probably tell me that the author of the book of Numbers is Moses. Uh, Numbers is part of the Pentateuch. And the Pentateuch is another name for the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which we'll get to next week. And all five books were penned by the same guy, Moses himself. That's right, Moses wrote the book of Genesis. He wrote the book of Exodus about their leaving Egypt. He, he wrote all of these, the book of Leviticus, which is sort of tells you about the office of the priest, the different feasts and the laws that they had set up. And it really breaks down God's law for you. And then we come to the book of Numbers and the book of Numbers penned by Moses. Uh, and it has Moses specific style of writing as well, which was to take facts and weave them into a story. 
Now, anybody who wasn't much of a storyteller could have taken the book of Genesis, right? And they could have written it in such a way where it just told you the facts, you know, just literally what happened. But when Moses writes the book of Genesis under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing from chapter 1 where he's talking about God speaking everything into existence. Then he goes into greater detail in chapter 2 of one of his specific creations, and that was the narrative of the one we care about, right? Because it was us, the human race. And he talks about, you can almost picture the way he writes it, God forming Adam out of the clay of the ground. That's his style of writing. He takes these facts and information and he weaves them into this fantastic story. He could have just given us the facts about Exodus, you know, or about the the father Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And he could have just given us the facts about all these things, but he, he paints a narrative, you know. It goes from God's perspective in the first 10, 11 chapters of Genesis, then it shifts to Abraham's perspective. Then it's Isaac, you know, then it's Jacob, then it's Joseph. And that narrative continues to shift. You can see that as he's writing. The book of Numbers is no different. It still contains Moses' specific style of writing. Uh, the book of Numbers was written in 1451 BC. It was written in the second month of the second year. And that's according to chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Numbers. This book was most likely written in the wilderness during the time of Israel's 40 years of wandering and was written sort of as the events occurred, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So as these things are sort of happening, Moses is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and is writing these things uh, as they're taking place with his style, painting the narrative, that sort of a thing. So it really is a first-person perspective on this book because it was written when it was written. The theme of the book of Numbers, which each book of the Bible has a sort of theme, right? It has an idea it's trying to get across. It's uh, a concept it's trying to teach us. There are lots of concepts in these books that they try to teach us, but there is one also overarching story that book is specifically trying to get across. And the theme of the book of Numbers is the goodness and severity of God. And sort of the, the, the opposites leveling each other out. That God is good, but he's not so good that he can't be severe when he needs to be. But he's also not so severe that he can't be good when he needs to be. So the goodness and severity of God. The severity is toward the old generation and their disbelief, which I'll explain here in a minute. And the goodness was toward the new generation and their faith and belief in the Lord. And so we'll see how that breaks out. But uh, here we come to the outline of the book, and it sort of breaks down what Numbers is all about. The first four chapters of the book of Numbers is the census of the people. Uh sort of numbering them, if you will. That's why it's called the Book of Numbers. And again, we'll dive into that a little better here in a little bit. Chapters 5 through 9 are about the sanctification of the people, sort of separating them from the defiling things, the things that sort of pervert their minds and their hearts and pollute them. Um, chapter 12, specifically, is the murmuring of Aaron and Miriam and God's punishment for them for this. And then we come uh, to, oh, I'm sorry, I, I skipped ahead really hard. Uh, chapter 6 
is the Nazarite vow. Then we have the journey to Kadesh Barnea in chapters 10 through 12. So if that wasn't confusing at all. So we had chapters 1 through 4, the census of the people, 5 through 9, the sanctification of the people. Then we have chapters 10 through 12 is the journey to Kadesh Barnea. And during the journey to Kadesh Barnea, we have in chapter 11, the murmuring of the people. They're complaining against Moses. You know, we're thirsty, we're hungry, you know, you brought us out here to die. Then we have the murmuring of Aaron and Miriam in chapter 12. Sorry about that. Uh, then we have Israel at Kadesh Barnea, and this is chapters 13 through 20, is them at Kadesh Barnea. For those of you who don't know, Kadesh Barnea was a defining point for that generation for Israel. It was at that point they decided whether or not they were going to cross the Jordan River by faith and enter into the Promised Land. Or whether or not they were going to not cross because they were too scared that they were all going to die in battle. Uh, in chapters 13 and 14, you have the 12 spies and they're going into the land and uh, Joshua and Caleb's journey and them coming back and the report that they gave. Uh, we know the song, ten were bad and two were good. Um, and Joshua and Caleb were the two that were good. And they said, yeah, it's a tough people that we're going to be fighting, but God's going to be with us. We can't really lose, right? I mean, you guys remember what happened at the Red Sea. You know, if we can beat Egypt, we can beat anybody. You know, it was basically their, their idea. I mean, we've got this God on our side that basically can't be beaten. Not basically, literally can't be beaten. So the 12 spies in there journey there then we see the discipline of God toward Israel because it was during uh, the 12 the story of the 12 spies that Israel decided were not they were at Kadesh Barnea and they decided were not crossing and so because of that God said you will stay in this land until that whole faithless generation dies off which comes to the discipline of God in chapters 15 through 20 uh, chapter 16 uh, specifically because we're not going to be going over each chapter specifically. We're going to be kind of hitting the highlights and letting you uh, uh, sort of read those things for yourself. Chapter 16 is Korah's rebellion. A person named Korah tries to rise up against Moses and say, this guy didn't know what he's talking about. We need to sort of rise up and save ourselves from this. And Korah's rebellion and how it was quelled there in chapter 16. Chapter 17 is Aaron's rod that budded. And all the, the rods of the elders are put there together. And uh, Aaron's rod, they show up the next morning, and Aaron's rod had budded and started producing almonds, I believe it was. Chapter 19 deals with the red heifer sacrifice, uh, which is uh, a sermon many pastors have preached throughout the years. I might get to one day. And then chapter 20, we come to the sin of Moses. Uh, this is where God told Moses, this is the second time they've come to the rock, right? And God tells Moses, don't strike the rock this time, speak to the rock, because that's supposed to be a picture of Jesus. He was struck once for our sins, and then all we have to do is speak to him, and we're forgiven for our sins. But he broke uh, God's law, and he, he disobeyed God's commandment, and he sort of ruined the picture of Jesus because he struck the rock a second time. And that's the sin of Moses. And God says, because you did this, Moses, you are no longer allowed to enter into the promised land either. So that brings us to the next chunk, the journey to Moab. So large portion of the story is the journey to, to Kadesh Barnea. And then after that, 
a large portion of the book of Numbers is their journey to Moab. That's chapters uh, 20 and 21. Uh, the sin of Moses is chapter 20. You might call that chapter 20A. And then the defiance of Edom is chapter 20B. The defiance of Edom, and that's sort of their battle with the Edomites. And then chapter 20C is the death of Aaron. And his passing and passing, literally passing the mantle on to his son. Uh, chapter 21 is where we see the brass serpent. The people begin to complain against God and Moses. God sends fiery serpents to bite the people and they get very, very sick and start to die. And so God tells uh, Moses to make a brass serpent and hold it on a pole and hold it up. And all of those Israelites that look to it will be healed. And uh, Jesus quotes that as himself. He says, I'm the brass serpent. Uh, you're all sick with sin. And if you look to me in faith and trust and salvation, then you will be made healed from your sin sickness. Uh, so that's the story of the brass serpent. We come also to not just the journey to Moab, but then we see Israel at Moab in chapters 22 through 36, uh, which is the rest of the book. 36 chapters in the book of Numbers. Uh, chapters 22 through 24 is the story of Balaam's donkey. And uh, it's an incredible story. Uh, you probably know it from Junior Church. If you don't, I recommend go read that story. It's a fantastic story. The donkey, spoiler alert, starts talking to Balaam. But it's a fantastic story. There's a lot going on rather than just that. Chapter 25 is Israel worships Baal. And that begins to rear its ugly head for one of the first times in Israel's history. Uh, then we see uh, in chapter 26, this is where the shift begins to change. Chapter 26 is the new generation is numbered. The old generation is starting to die off and they're preparing uh, the new generation to be led by Joshua. And then we have chapter 35, which is the cities of refuge. And not necessarily them being established, but them being um, the laws for them being prepared. And so the cities of refuge are first mentioned here in the book of Numbers. So that's the outline of the book of Numbers. Then we come to the key word. The key word in the book of Numbers is the word journey. Because that's what they do throughout the whole book. They're journeying to God's will. They reach God's will. And then they reject God's will. So they spend the rest of their time journeying with no destination, right? Because that's the difference, right? When you're in God's will, your journey has a destination. But when you're fighting against God's will, God's will, you sometimes feel like you're spinning your wheels. You know, like you're 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 moving and you're you're gaining traction, you're gaining ground, but you're not actually getting anywhere. You you're not trying to get to a specific place in life. You begin to feel like, well, what's the point of it all? The point is in God's will. And just like Israel, when we abandon his will, when we leave his path, our life loses its meaning and purpose. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie, the second Hobbit movie, they're in uh, that dark forest, whatever it's called. And this always spoke to me so strongly. While they're in that forest, they're walking around, and Gandalf, before he leaves, he tells them, do not leave the path, because once you leave it, you will, you will never find it again. And they're going through, and somehow, in some way, I'm still not entirely sure, maybe I missed something, but they lose the path. 
and uh, Bilbo looks down, and he's walking forward, and he looks down, but when he looks at his feet, he's actually walking backwards. He looks back up, and it looks like he's walking forwards again. He's very confused, and they sort of stop, and they start arguing amongst themselves, and nobody knows where to go or what to do. So Bilbo climbs a tree. He gets out of the forest. He sort of ascends up beyond the rest of them and beyond that evil forest where he can see the sunset. He can see their destination and their journey, and he's able to find the path again. So he goes back down to help him find the path again. That's so much like the Christian life because God's got a path for us. He's got a will for our life. And his will and his plan for us is so much better than what we could plan for ourselves. And just like Israel, if we abandon God's will, our life loses its purpose and its meaning. So if you're struggling with that, listening to this, I encourage you, try to go back and find out where you lost God's path at and get back on it. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. Uh, The key word being a journey. A journey is traveling from one place to another, and we've talked about that at great length already. The word journey is used 23 times in the book of Numbers. And uh, the Israelites uh, literally spent this 40 years with no home. They lived literally like vagabonds for 40 years. The key verse for the book of Numbers is Numbers 33.1 which says, These are the journeys of the children of Israel which went forth out of the land of Egypt with their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. Uh, So this verse fits really well as the key verse because it speaks of their departure from Egypt, but not just their departure from Egypt, but also it fails to mention anything else in this book that happens because... Israel is in limbo between Egypt and the promised land due to their own disbelief. That is what the wilderness represents. It represents this this place of wandering, this meaningless place, uh, a waste of time, where they could have been obtaining God's promises and obtaining God's will in their lives, but instead they've just been making circles in the same wilderness for 40 years. And it's just like the Christian life because Egypt has always in scripture been a picture of the world. And as Israel leaves Egypt, they're leaving the worldliness and they're trying to enter into the promised land. And the promised land is not an accurate picture of heaven. It's better portrayed as the victorious Christian life. Because the promised land still had 13 warring nations to deal with. And that's not heaven at all. There's no war in heaven. But that's like life. As we cross over that Jordan River, our spiritual Jordan River, uh, which is the place where we start to follow God by faith, we begin to conquer in our own life. And we begin to have this victorious Christian life. uh, Because we continue to follow the Lord's will. In every battle, in every struggle, in everything. And that's just like uh, them, because when we go to leave the world, the worldliness, and enter into the Christian life, but we're hesitant to cross our Kadesh Barnea, then we too spend all that time in a sort of limbo, right? We're, we're caught between the Lord and the world, and we're in this place where we don't know what to do next. And so that is why that is a perfect key verse uh, for the book of Numbers. Special features in the book of Numbers is uh, Numbers is called Numbers 
for the two numberings of those of the ages of 20 and above who were able to go to war. The first of which was the numbering at Mount Sinai, which was 603,520. And the second was the numbering at Moab, which was 601,730. Israel lived in the wilderness one year for every day the spies were in the promised land. Go back and check that out for yourself. It's actually a very interesting fact, and it speaks of the fact that God is very obviously and specifically punishing them for their doubts. And also trying to teach them and us, look at everything that you don't have because of your own doubt. right? Look at the blessings I could have given you if you'd have just had a little faith. Just a little faith, like Jesus said in the New Testament. Just, just the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. Just a little faith. And I could have blessed you like you wouldn't believe. He also goes on to talk to them about, uh, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about his hometown, going back to Nazareth, and how he wanted to do so much for those people in his own hometown, but he could not do one miracle. He could not cast out one demon. He could not do anything in their midst because of their unbelief. And just like Israel here in the book of Numbers, imagine how much you're missing out on because of your own unbelief. Because we go through life, everything having to make sense, everything having to be logical, and every step has to be planned out perfectly. We don't follow our hearts anymore. We don't follow the Holy Spirit speaking to us in that still small voice. We don't let the Lord guide us anymore. It's all got to be logical and make business sense. That's just not how God guides. Uh, it took only 40 hours, by the way, to get Israel out of Egypt. And let, let me share, it was a, I want to say, what do they say? Four-hour trip? Something along those lines to get out of the wilderness into the promised land? And yet it took them 40 years to find their way out of that place? Um, but not only that, because it, it took them 40 hours to get out of Egypt. Out of Egypt into this wilderness. It took 40 hours. That was it. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. What do you mean? I mean, it was easy for them to physically leave the place of Egypt, but it was really, really hard to get the Egyptian influence out of the Israelites. That's what we struggle with today. It's easy for us to physically place ourselves in church. It's easy for us to go through the motions of being a Christian. We have a Bible. We read it sometimes, I guess. We, you know, pray a lot for our food in church. And, you know, when something really bad happens, we try to stop and pray. But we're not, we might be out of the world in a certain sense, but the world isn't out of us. And just like Israel, God's got to get us to a point where we get the world out of us and we get God into us instead. We ought to be striving to allow the Lord to get the worldliness out of us just like he had to get the Egypt out of Israel. Because that was still their go-to. Remember the bottom of Mount Sinai? They were like, we got a problem. What do we do? Well, just like the Egyptians, let's make a God about it. 
right? We'll make a god. We'll make a, I don't know, a, a Sinai god. Make him like a calf or something, and then we'll, we'll pray to that god, and everybody will feel better. And that was their solution because they had a lot of Egyptian influence in them, right? They still thought like Egyptians. Oh, that Egyptian food. Remember, they were complaining about how much they missed the Egyptian food. Oh, the, the food that they would cook in Egypt, and oh, how much I miss it. It took them 40 years to get the Egypt out of Israel. And then we come to our final little bit about the book of Numbers. And it's the most important bit because it's the whole purpose of the Bible in the first place. It's Christ in the book. And it's all the different pictures of Jesus we see sort of throughout the book of Numbers. It's not all of them, but it's it's the highlight reel, right? It's, uh, it's the best of. And so we look at... Uh, first of which is the pillar of the cloud and of fire. Uh, this is found only in Numbers 14.14, 14, but it is found in the book of Numbers. Uh, and it indicates that God was following his people throughout the wilderness with the pillar of the cloud and the pillar of the fire. During the day, he'd uh, be the pillar of the cloud, and at night, he'd be the pillar of the fire. And this was God following his people, leading them with this pillar, telling them where they go next with this pillar during the day and protecting them during the night. Uh, this is a picture of Christ. Christ is the pillar of the cloud and pillar of the fire. He leads us like it does. He protects us like it does. And he provides for us like this pillar did. Uh, the second picture of Christ in the book is, we've mentioned once already, the brazen serpent, the brass serpent. Uh, John 3, 14, Jesus says, as, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The next verse he says, And if I be lifted up, I'll draw, I'll draw all men unto me. Uh, the third and final picture of Christ in the book is the six cities of refuge. Now, let me explain what that means. The cities of refuge were a place where if you were accused of a violent crime, like killing somebody, like murder, you could go to one of the cities of refuge for a fair trial. Right? So you were accused of murder, and you made it to one of these cities of refuge. The, uh, the Avenger of the person you murdered, which had to be a relative of some kind, a specific relative uh, of the person that was killed, they could not take vengeance upon their loved one in the cities of refuge. And in the cities of refuge, you would set up a appointment with a judge, and he would there judge uh, whether or not you were innocent or guilty, whether it was an accident or whether it was done with malice or whether you didn't do it at all. And the judge would decide that, and if you were found innocent, then that that uh, avenger could not uh, take vengeance on you for the death of their loved one. But if you were found guilty, they could. Uh, but the cities of refuge are a picture of Christ, because we find refuge in Christ from our sins. And as we stand before the great judge, we are guilty. We did do these things, unlike some of the people that stood before the judges in the cities of refuge. They, uh, they may or may not have been guilty. We definitely are and should be found guilty and put to death that death which the book of Revelation refers to as that terrible place we call hell. And yet, the one that we sinned against, the one against whom the crime was committed, 
does not stand as our accuser. You guys, he stands as our advocate. Right? That would be like the avenger coming before the judge pleading our case on our behalf instead of looking for vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God. The Bible says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It belongs to the Lord, and it's his to take or to not take. And that is why the cities of refuge are such a perfect picture of the Lord, because he chooses not to take vengeance. Hebrews 6.18 says that by two immutable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. That is a a uh, sort of hint at these cities of refuge, that we came to Christ who is a city of refuge and we lay hold upon the hope set before us that our accuser might stand as our advocate. What an incredible thing. So there's so many wonderful things to be drawn out of the book of Numbers. Um, and I want to leave you with this thought that uh, this series is meant to be about us exploring the Bible. And I talked a little bit about why that's so important. But in closing, I want to share this with you, that when we explore the Bible, the Bible explores the mind of God. Okay, That's something Dr. Raymond Barber has said for years, longer than I could even tell you. Every time he stands to preach, he says, when we open the Bible, the Bible opens the mind of God. And you know what? I believe him. I think he's right. So when we study our Bibles, when we explore the scriptures, we are exploring the scriptures as the scriptures explore the mind of God. Is there a greater pursuit of knowledge in all the world? The answer is no there's not. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. We will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening.